Good morning. I, as Justin said, I have just, I just got back from Colorado Friday night. The, the last 10 days of my life have been very tiring and very emotional and, and a lot of fun as well. A week ago today, my daughter celebrated her one-year wedding anniversary. Now, I was like, what? It's been a year since we did that insane dancing? Yeah, and it's been a year since I danced, and you can see why. <laughs> and you're welcome. I may still cut a rug up here since Justin did, you know. I'm a little bit older of a dad. Um, we went to the Rocky Mountains, went to Rocky Mountain National Park with our son, Zach, and his wife, Taylor, and two grandkids, three and a half and one and a half. So that vacation was busier than we've been used to in a long time. Thursday morning, uh, we got up. So if you go on vacation with the Hoflicker family, and I'm so thankful that my son has carried on this tradition, you better not bring it weak. We got up at 4 a.m. on Thursday morning. That's kind of what we do sometimes. And we drove up into the Rocky Mountains, Rocky Mountain National Park, and we got to this amazing spot way up high where you could look back east over Estes Park. And, and Estes Park kind of sits in a bowl of mountains, actually. And we watched the sunrise. And it was quite emotional because I'm sitting there watching my son and, and his wife, Taylor, with their kids. And actually, I was holding Renly for a good part of that time, little one-and-a-half-year-old. And the sun comes up, and I just was like, God, I am amazed at your creation. This is an amazing experience. It would have been an amazing experience alone, but it was really cool because it also happened to be Julie and I's 32nd wedding anniversary. And so we're trying to do selfies, which is rather humorous for people of our age. You may have figured it out. We haven't. Thumbs in the picture. One point, the shadows on my face. I didn't see it till later. We start giggling. But it was, a, it was an amazing last seven days, 10 days. And I got to thinking, though, that morning, as I was sitting there and I kind of handed Renly off, and at one point the sun is just hitting me in the face, and I'm just like, God, this is amazing. Your creation is amazing. Happens to be one of the more beautiful places on the planet, in my opinion. Certainly more beautiful than Missouri at 98 degrees. I'm sorry. It was 42 degrees that morning up there. Oh, God, can you transport me back? But I thought about the different ways in my spiritual journey that I have created maybe what maybe Justin called mental maps, if you got the email that came out Friday, different ways that we maybe have looked at or viewed God. And I, and I just want to talk about a few of those today because I think they might apply to you, and if not, you may have some others that maybe this will at least help. I got to thinking, it's a pretty easy one here, creator. Early on in my journey I, as a creator, as, thinking of God as a creator, I thought, you know, I thought maybe he was disinterested. Maybe he made the world. Maybe he created human beings, the planet as we know it, the sun, the stars, the other planets, whatever. But, but then he just kind of became disinterested. And that was a thought that I had early on in my journey. I don't think God is interested. He is disinterested. If I spell something wrong, please tell me, and then we'll ask you to join the communications team. I also thought maybe he was uninvolved. Like he just, you know, wow, it's amazing. Yeah, there I did it. Oh, well. No, I didn't. I got it. And over the years, as I have engaged God, because these two reasons here, disinterested and uninvolved, I found out that that came more from other people that I had talked to. That came from the culture at large, if you will. I'm like, why do I think God as a creator is disinterested or uninvolved? 
Where did I get my facts? We've got someone raising their hand. I'm like, hey, come on up. Uh, where did I get the facts? So I started to explore. I started to question God on this. Hey, God, as a creator, are you disinterested? Are you uninvolved? And I, and I heard exactly the opposite from God. He's like, not at all. Not at all. I'm personal. And I want to be involved. And so this transition for me over the last 20-something years of my life has gone from what I would call what I thought was fact to what now I know is truth when I think of God as a creator. And I don't know how you feel about God as a creator. If you believe, there's a lot of science that argues against the creation, and yet there's a lot of science that argues for it. There's a lot of scientists that haven't explained where the world began. And there's a lot of scientists that say, actually, there's some, some designers, some, there's design in this thing. And the creator did this. But not just he created, but he's personal. He wants to get involved. And if you go read the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, you will see that he walked with Adam and Eve. In the cool of the day, it says, he was personal. He was involved. He wanted to engage them in a relationship. Another thing that I thought of was, and boy, this was a big one for me, maybe because of my military background, I don't know. He was a rule maker. And being a rule maker, he was demanding. And almost like the word restricting or enslaving. So he was demanding. And another word I wrote was enslaving as I thought about this. It's like, God, all these rules, all these rules. How, I can't follow all these rules. Why did you make so many rules? And why do I have a tendency to want to break those rules? It's awfully enslaving to me. I don't feel free because I can't do what I want to do. Your word says something different. And the culture says, go and do whatever you want to do. Live the way you want to live. You be you. And so as I began to explore that and hear from God's word, I, I found out something totally different. I found out that it was actually freeing. Some people are like, what? I've discovered that when I live within God's boundaries and I discover that his boundaries are there to protect me so that I live the life he desires, which is the best life for me and for you, that it actually becomes free. And so in a way, and another word to use there is it also protects me. Or God, as a rule maker, is protective. And that's a change that's happened in me for the last 22, 23 years. The things that I was doing in my life, the things that I was looking at, the things that I wanted to do, the mistakes I made in my marriage. God said, well, yeah. You're thinking of it this way. And if you actually obey those things, it can be freeing and I will protect you because you live within the boundaries that I've put in place. Okay. I'm starting to come along there. Then this word judge. Oh, golly. <laughs> if God had my mentality towards myself, I would be dead. <laughs> the judgment that I have brought upon myself and the judgment that I thought God had for me has been very intense in my life. In a word, it's been punishing. 
so much so that I felt like and thought that I deserved it. How about you? I thought that God was merciless. You break the law, you get punished. You do the crime, you do the time. And seriously, only in quiet time with God over the last 20-something years of my life of exploring this with him and understanding that, wow, the self-hatred that is in me is not in God. The hatred for me, I should say, from God. He's actually merciful. He has relented so many times in my life. I don't even know how many times because I know I haven't been punished for all the things I've done wrong or the good things that I haven't done. It's quite amazing to me to think that he is a person like that. And so often as human beings, what we do is we take, since God made us in his image, we return the favor. And we make him in our image. And we think he's this disenriched creator, this demanding rule maker, this punishing judge. And all the while, he's like, you don't know me. Come, know me, get to know me. And a word that I don't use often with myself is compassion. And I found out that God is actually a very compassionate God. He wants to pardon. He wants to give us relief from the mistakes that we've made. He doesn't want it to beat us up. And that was very revolutionary to me. And then finally, the last one, and this one happened probably more when my kids were born, to think of him as father. Now, I've had the luxury of having three dads in my life. My birth father, Gary, my first stepfather, Tony, who passed away in 07, and my stepfather, Jim, today. And some of that's been up and down. My real father, I, I felt neglected, honestly, by. Uh, maybe he was disinterested. And so what did I do? I put that on God. The number one thing that I felt, honestly, from my dad and that I put on God and then became was that he was very, very hard to please. And I lived a good portion of my life trying to earn his love by performing, whether in athletics or in a career, on the job. And doing so, I became a workaholic. And I'm not going to blame my father. I'll stop right there. It's always on me. But I certainly got some of that from his, my desire to please him. And I, and I thought of him as hard to please, and then I put that on God. Well, then, God, you must be angry with me because I constantly don't meet the expectations of myself or others. That's the way I thought. And as I explored that with God in some time alone, in some time with groups, in time with my wife, I discovered, wow, that, that's not God at all. <laughs> He's not that at all. He is a loving God. And, he, and this is a word I don't often associate with God or myself as a father. He's tender. So this migration, you can see from below to above, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe there's a different word up there than creator, rule maker, judge, father for you. Maybe, maybe you don't even believe in God as, any, as anything. That's okay. But I would ask you, where are you getting your facts from? Where are you seeking truth from? Are you just trusting that somebody said so-and-so on so-and-so on some news network? Or somebody wrote a book and the man's 37 years old or the woman's 42 years old and the Bible's 2,000 years old? Where are you getting your facts from? 
this transition from trusting God or to trusting God is moving from this stuff below to this stuff above. And for me, the word of God was the number one thing in my life. Maybe quiet time prayer, certainly groups, men's groups, co-ed groups, and discovering, wow, all the perceptions, all the thoughts, all the mental maps that I had created about God, the majority of them were wrong. They were just wrong. Jeff, if you could bring up the Galatians passage, that would be wonderful. Galatians 4, we've been in Galatians for this whole series, and we're going to continue in it. This passage really jumped out at me. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir. If you could leave that up, that would be great. I just want to kind of explore that with you a little bit this morning. There's a book that I've read called Abba's Child by Brendan Manning. And in it, there's a phrase that jumped out at me. He's, I think it's Brendan who's walking with another person and the person stops and he's kind of smiling and he's kind of like hopping and he's like, what? What's going on with you? He goes, my father is so very fond of me. Now, if you're honest with yourself, does that thought hit you very often throughout the day? That God, the creator, the rule maker, the judge, the father, whatever word you might use for him, he's fond of you. By his very nature, he has to love you because God is love. But he doesn't just love you. He likes you. He loves you and he likes you. He's so very fond of you. Do you ever just sit and think, wow, that's an amazing thing. The being that hung planets, the being that created Rocky Mountain National Park with a phenomenal flood, not 40 gazillion years ago like some people think, but just a few, 10,000 or so. That creator, that person loves each and every one of us. He's very fond of you. He loves you. And this passage says, look, he, he loves you so much that he asked his son to come to this earth to put on human flesh. Can't describe it, can't explain it totally. Glad I can't. Fully God, fully man. He asked him to go to the cross so that the family of God could expand and that all of us who have made mistakes, all of us, all of us that will make mistakes, all of us, we could be redeemed or we could rejoin the family. That's the kind of father we have in heaven. That he would sacrifice his own son so that more sons and daughters could join the family. <laughs> that blows my mind. And I think about, oh my gosh, this father... Coming back here to the Creator. It's all about redemption. So on this Father's Day, as we think about the fathers that we have in our lives or the fathers that we are, sure, we've all made mistakes, but this father hasn't. He went to great lengths to say, rejoin the family. 
and come back to the relationship that I started here that humanity darkened. The relationship of walking in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. He did something about that. He was so crazy about us that he sent his son. And that's where we get our worth. At least let's say this, that's where we should get our worth. And there's so many days where I feel unworthy, I feel dirty, I feel sinful, I feel broken, I feel like lazy, you know what? There are days, I'm sure you have those. And God says, I want your identity at its core to be about what I think of you. No one else, including yourself. Your identity is that you are a child of mine. So I'd like you to just take about 30 seconds to a minute here. Close your eyes if you would. If you're really a type A and you don't want to do it, hey, close them anyways. I'm going to close mine too. And I want you to just talk to yourself. You're welcome to talk out loud if you desire. And say this, my father in heaven is very fond of me. My father in heaven is very fond of me. He loves me. That can be my identity. Regardless of what I do, right or wrong, you, God, are fond of me. You can open your eyes if you closed them. The term up there was Abba Father, and I, I learned this, not this week, but somewhere in the past, probably reading Abba's Child, that that term really doesn't have a uh, translation in the English language that's great. It was the Aramaic language. But Abba meant something like, the, our best option is Daddy or Papa. And so Jesus even used that in his prayers at times. He would say, Abba, Father. And he really ushered in this time in the Jewish Nation at the time wasn't really like hip on that. They were like, whoa, whoa, you can't have this personal, that kind of personal connection to God. You can't call him your father. Who are you? But Jesus had such an intimate personal relationship with Jesus or with God, the father, that he would. He'd say, Abba, father. And he even said it in the garden a few hours before he was crucified. Abba, father. Could you imagine our prayers? I mean, I, it sounds odd to me to go, daddy. I don't remember ever calling anybody daddy. And so it's an odd thing for me to say daddy. I don't even remember calling him by papa. And yet I know that I think Roy has called that. He's our primary speaker around here by some of his kids. I will say this. My son Zach started calling me pops. I don't know when, several years ago. And as I reflected on that this week, I thought, huh, it's, a, it's an endearing term. It means both I love you Pops, and I respect you. And he tried to teach his three-and-a-half-year-old Hux to say G-Pops, you know, because I was hip, like Grandpa Pops, you get it? Well, Hux couldn't get G-Pops, so you know what he came up with? Paul. So I'm now starring on Little House on the Prairie. But it is so darn cute. And now Renly's picked up on it, and on our vacation, uh, she would say, Mama, 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 a lot. And then she'd get on Paul sometimes too. Paul, Paul, pa. It's more of a pa. I love it. I love it. And I think that term that they use for me, whether it's pops or Paul or dad 
or daddy. I remember Kaylee, when my daughter, when she was little, she'd call me Dada Sean. And I think about, wow, that's the relationship God wants with me. He wants us all to feel like children of his. And not just children like, you know, like we're into the family, we're adopted, we can become heirs, but, but almost childlike in our approach to him. Like, I need you, God. I guarantee you, Huxley and Renly, if we left them out on their own, they're not going to survive. They might do some damage, but they're not going to survive. And do we have that approach with our Heavenly Father, that we are to be childlike with him? We can call him daddy or papa or pops or Paul, whatever term you might use it as this term of endearment of personal connection, not God the creator. I thought about, you know, most of the prayers that I start off with are Father God. And that's an endearing term for me, but it's still not like daddy. And so I've got some movement there to just really feel like a child in his presence, to really feel like I have been adopted into his family. In that same book, Abba's Child, there's another phrase that I want to share with you because it just hit me, and it hit Brennan Manning because he quotes someone else. But he says this, define yourself radically as one beloved by God. Could you imagine if you walk up to someone, wherever that might be, and they say, hey, what do you do? And you say, well, I am one radically beloved by God. That's what defines me, not my occupation, not my age, not my gender, not the color of my skin. If you go and look up that passage from Galatians, Galatians 4, 1 through 7, and you read it in the message version, actually, it's, sorry, it's, it's just above that, verses 1 through 3, it talks about God emancipating us. And when I think about Juneteenth and about the emancipation proclamation that Abraham Lincoln put into play, and it took almost two years for the news to reach Texas. And that's why they celebrated June 19th. Because the day they got the news, they were like, we're free. What the hell have we done in this world where we enslave other people based on their color? And not just the United States. 10.7 million slaves were taken, people were taken out of Africa and enslaved, not just in America, but in the Caribbean and South America and Western Europe and other places actually, but those are the largest. So they have a different understanding of what the emancipation word means. You have been freed. And God says, because I sent my son, because he said yes, because he was obedient, because he went to the cross, we can be free. We can live as a child of God. And we can have freedom. And we can live in grace. And that hit me a lot this week as I looked up Juneteenth, as I read more about it. I was like, well, I thought the Emancipation Proclamation was, you know, so-and-so. Well, yeah, it was. But think of how long it took for the news to reach Texas. Today, we'd pick it up within seconds on our phones. I don't know if we all believe this. On this Father's Day, for those of us that are fathers, we all have a father somewhere. Maybe they're passed on. As fathers, we 
attempted to provide for our family. It was very personal. I, I can tell you this. My son's sitting in the audience. I don't see my daughter. Taylor's in the audience. She's gotten to know me a little bit, obviously a lot of it, last week even. They know I've made mistakes. We talk about them. One of the greatest things I did as a father is stop hiding. Share with my children my mistakes. Because if they always thought I was perfect, then they would always attain to try to be perfect, and they would start to live on the bottom half of this. But if they realize that their father is imperfect, he's makes, made, made mistakes and will make mistakes, that he's forgiven and that he can live obediently if the Spirit of God moves him and he follows the Spirit, then they can do the same thing. On this Father's Day, I think the greatest gift that I could give my children, that you could give your children, and really our families in general, our friends, our neighbors, our workmates, the gift that we could give them is to receive the greatest gift ever offered to us. Because that will radically begin to change your life. It won't happen immediately where you go into a phone booth and come out super Christian. And I, I, I got to be honest with you, I thought it should many times in my life. And I discovered, what I come out, where'd that cape go? I look like Clark Kent. I can dance like Clark Kent, but anyways. <laughs> the greatest gift we can give our families and our children is to accept the greatest gift ever offered. Have you? Do you realize how loved you are by God? Have you ever just sat and thought about that? One of the greatest impediments to that in our lives is our busyness and our desire to think we have to perform or go do, 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 do instead of just be, be, be. Ever just sit and, and talk to God like you would another person? God, you really, you really love me? Me? He says, I love you and I know more about you than you know about yourself. Yeah, I love you. I'm, I'm awfully fond of you. And I want you to think of me as a creator that's personal and a rule maker that's freeing and protecting you and a judge that's merciful and compassionate and a father that's loving and tender. That's the true me. What is it for you? Do you have another one that you would put up there? And I would ask you to go and think along this way. Where are you thinking of God? Where did you get that information? Where did you get those facts or so-called facts? And go pursue his truth and what he has to say about himself in his word. I'm going to finish up here. I'm going to try and finish early for you fathers, okay? <laughs> You're welcome. So last Thursday was our anniversary, and I did not send Jeff this image, but uh, I would share with you the, uh, the selfie that I tried to take of me and my wife uh, with the sunrise behind it. But I, I'm not going to. But it was, it, was a, it was a wonderful time because the photograph really can't capture the moment. And later that morning, Julie and I, we went to another place with Zach and Taylor and the kids, and we walked this little lake, and they told us, hey, why don't you guys go ahead? So Julie and I just walked around this lake, Sprague Lake, first time we'd ever done it, and we'd been to Rocky Mountain National Park many times. We saw geese and eventually saw moose, and the water was just calm. And the mountains were reflecting in the water. And Julie and I were just walking around there holding hands. I can't tell you the last time I've held my wife's hand till then. Too long. And we were just walking around laughing, taking selfies. 
And it was, it was awesome. 32 years, that's, that's okay. But our marriage has had its ups and downs. And so when we get back and finally get a little coverage on our phones, which, by the way, T-Mobile stinks up in Rocky Mountain National Park. And if you work for T-Mobile, get a tower up there. Come on. And I have a text from our daughter, Kaylee. Happy anniversary from Grant and I. We love you guys and are so grateful for your example of a true, honest marriage and how you have both modeled loving each other with Christ as your guide. Enjoy celebrating in the mountains. And I read that and my heart was just warmed. Not because our daughter wished us a happy anniversary, because we had modeled an honest marriage in front of her. And that helps her and Grant, now that they've hit one year, to know that there aren't always going to be ups in a marriage. There will be downs in a marriage. And the thing that's going to make it work is living above that line and pursuing God above these lines and whatever other way you also think of God. Is go get his truth. Live by his truth. Let his spirit live in you as a child and an heir in his family. And then we get back to the cabin. And Zach and Taylor said, well, what do y'all, you guys want to do something on your own? We're like, oh, yeah, we're kind of tired. We got up at 4 a.m. But yeah, well, so we went down and did the, you know, the shopping thing. You buy the sweatshirt, the T-shirt. I bought the smoothie. Julie didn't. I bought chocolate. Julie didn't. Do you see a pattern here? <laughs> and there's this note on the table. Happy anniversary. It takes ups and downs and everything in between. Thank you for sharing, excuse me, showing us what dedication in a Christ-centered marriage looks like. We look, look up to you and love the relationship that you share with our kids. Love, Zach and Taylor. And the same thing hit me then. Our kids have seen a realness in our lives. And, and the, the, the truth of the matter is we each can receive that phenomenal gift. And I challenge you, wherever you are, whether you do not believe in God, and that's okay, you're in a good place for that thought, for those questions. But ask your questions, and I would say pursue the answers yourself. Don't take what I have to say or anyone else has to say. Go and research it yourself and see about this, this God. And maybe you've gotten complacent in your journey, and I've been there many times in my life, so what, what could you do? I thought about just putting a reminder in my phone that says, you are beloved, God. Every morning, 6 a.m., 7 a.m., I would get that. Just a reminder, like, oh, yeah. There's a lot of stuff going on in this world that's not great. But we can have hope and joy in that alone because we could be identified with God as his child. And maybe you do have that vibrant relationship with him. It's like, then share it. Share it with others around you. Get into a group. Make a, make a conversation at work or at home. Open up the Bible together as a family and share what he's doing in your life versus telling other people what he should do in theirs. For the greatest gift we can ever give to one another is that we receive the greatest gift ever offered. Would you pray with me? God, <laughs> Abba, Papa, <laughs> Daddy, I confess that that sounds odd, and I'm saddened that it sounds odd to me, but I pray that all of us could just feel like a child again, that we could feel dependent upon you 
And yet we could feel invited by you through the sacrifice of your son back into your family. Help us to, in our own quiet moments with ourselves, first of all, help us to take those moments, to make those moments, to prioritize those, prioritize those moments over other things in our lives that we often do. To just sit and reflect and hear you say, you are my beloved child. I am so very fond of you. Help us to know, God, that we need you. That you created us to run on you. You didn't need us, but you want us in the family. Because you know that that's where we will live the best life. God, we need you, and we love you, and we wish you a happy Abba day. Amen.